Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir. Nishmas, Shmuel Yaakov ben Moshe, and Jeanette Asibrahim Akoyin. Chaim ben Baruch. And Dorit Bas Moshe Now the pauses were just because I had to remember all the names. It's happened, you know, write things down. This week, Shabbos, Parshas Chukas. <coughs> Yud Tammuz. Abolino Liteva. We know that Shabbos is Mine Mizbarch Bekula Yemen. Shabbos benches all the days of the week. Now, we've discussed this before. Minim is Baruch Bekul Yemen. It benches all the days of the week. It could bench the days of the week prior. It could bench the days of the week after. And ultimately, we say it benches both. It blesses both the days of the week before and after. <coughs> so Yud Thomas benches the days from Dalit Thomas till Yud. And from you to you Zayin. Within the week of you to you Zayin, we have Mitzim Yud Beis in Gimel Tammuz, and then ultimately the end of the week Shabbos would be Yud Zayin Shivasa Betamuz. We had some B'lenad Habalin on the table. Next week we will begin to discuss we begin to discuss halachas of the three weeks and of course also once Shivasabatamans once the three weeks starts we have during those weeks a little bit of the three things that are extra that we learn Mishnayas Midas and Cheskel and Navi Cheskel and of course, the Rambam, Hilchas Beis Abachira. In those days, of time, the three weeks are times that we should be sitting and learning all about the Beis Hamikdash, the Ferat Beis Hamikdash Ashlishi. Especially today, since we are now preparing for Beis Hamikdash Ashlishi, we should learn all those halachas and Miatz Hashem Yahavchu Yamedul Lasatzin Lasimcha. And those days will be reverted to days of happiness and joy, and we will Miatz Hashem merit. To actually see and practice in the Beis Hamikdash Shlishi. So much to talk about, so little time to do it. Now we start late, but we still go an hour, even though some people have to run away before after ten o'clock. They're scared of turning into pumpkins. Uh, well, they just push it. Have to go catch a mitzvah. Um, Zeitz Chukas Hateda, the Paraduma. 
the Chukim of the Teda, and we talk about first, we start off Paradama. We had several Shurim and Parshas Chukas in the archives, where we talk and discuss in great length the Paradama. <coughs> in the Parsha, we experience several other things. The passing of Miriam, the passing of Arnakayin, The Yidin confronting Edom, considering going through Edom, the land of Edom, to go to Israel, and of course the king says, "No, nothing doing." Although the Yidin were willing to pay, they weren't going to take anything. They had their own food, their own mud, their own water, and if we then we will buy from you regardless, even though we have our own, so that and with Rashi tells us this teaches us that when you have a a host, you're hosted by people, you should see to it, to patronize them as best, best as possible. Scranton, you're not late, don't worry about it, I started three minutes ago. Five minutes, I'm sorry. We have the story, probably the most Everyone has their pet peeves, especially when it comes to learning Teda. Things that you read about, that you learn about in Teda, that twist your head. As much as you try to wrap your hand right around it, you just don't succeed. I have the problem this week's parasha with the Meimeriva. The stone. The stone that Moshe had to talk to after Miriam passes away to get Ver Miriam going again. If you look in the records, Moshe went 40 days, 40 nights, three times consecutively. I didn't eat bread or drink water, or sleep for that matter, for thirty, for 40 days, three times consecutive, 120 days. Moshe was not desperate for the May Meriva, for the for the Be'er Miriam at the moment. However, the Yidin were, and so Hashem says, "Kach es Take your staff and go talk to the seller. Now, obviously, there's so many different connotations to this. Why take your staff if you didn't have to use the staff? And and that's one of the reasons that it, it occurred to him that even to think of using the staff, even after Akash Baruch told him, Dabir But, he comes with the staff, and he speaks to the stone, obviously it was not the right one. And he takes the staff, and he figures like the first time you have to hit the, sta- the stone, and he taps the stone, and it doesn't give out. But droplets. Then finally he taps the right stone, and then we have the flooding of the waters. But God says to him, you did not have faith in me. You, are not, you did not sanctify my name properly. Had you spoken to the... <laughs> we to use, learn how to use his phone there. Had you spoken to the stone and not smitten the stone, you would have sanctified my name in the highest level. Because you didn't, 
I have to punish you. Rachel says, okay, listen. I didn't do it selfish. It was a selfless thing I did. I did it for Kral Yisrael. I have to get punished, I get punished, but I'll, take, I'll accept the punishment. It's not a problem. What could the punishment be for such a seemingly minor sin to which HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishes him and says, you will not enter into Eretz Yisrael. That was a wow. That blew Moshe out of the water. Literally, water. Ha ha. This was... And I still don't, till today, really understand why, how does the punishment match the crime? We may not ask our questions, our questions, we need to be acceptance of Kabbalah's oil. And this is exactly how Chukas begins. This is the Kree of the Torah. God commanded to say, speak to the Bnei Yisrael. Have them take for you a red heifer. And we know, of course, this is the concept of a chok. The chok. The decree of which we do not understand. Thank you. We've explained the three types of mitzvahs. Eidus, chukim, and mishpatim. Eidus are testimonial mitzvahs. Mishpatim are mitzvahs that we have common sensical mitzvahs. And chukim are the mitzvahs that we do not know the reasons for them. What is the, chuk, what is the main stay chok of the Tera? Paraduma. Preparing it, burning the ashes, mixing the ashes, spraying the person that is impure because he was Tamad Nefesh. He was became impure from coming in contact with something of death, dead body, or whatever it was. So on what basis are we doing these mitzvahs? Kabbalah sale. I found out this week for the first time how to translate Kabbalah sale in English. Non-rational obedience. No, I won't take it to the bank. It's a translation, but it's not necessarily. Kabbalah sale. The lesson and message from here is we are not requested to only do chukim with Kabbalah sale. We are, it is requested of us, it is ob- an obligation of ours. All mitzvahs need to be done with Kabbalah sale. Even mitzvahs that are rational. Incoming. Hmm. Absence of intellect. Sounds like an imbecile. (laughs) Absence of intellect. 
No. <laughs> because it's not not shot that you're you're making your intellect absent. You are putting all intellect aside. And you're putting everything aside and you're saying that I don't need to understand rationale. I don't need to know the rationale behind this. I need to accept it and do it. You come into your office and the office manager tells you, I want you to do A, B, and C. You might understand, and you might look at your computer, look at your record, look at your schedule, look at the results that are probably going to be reaped from this work, and feel that you should be doing C, B, and A, or B, C, and A, or whatever it might be. But your manager said A, B, and C, and you do A, B, and C if you want to keep your job for tomorrow. So, it's... Kabbalah said... You tell me what I have to do, I do it. It's non-questionable. I'm not questioning anything here. I'm doing it because this is how you told me to do it. That's the end result of Kabbalah's ill. I don't know, I mean, Kabbalah's ill would be acceptance of the yoke, is the actual literal translation to it. El Malch HaShemayim, of course. So we have, obviously... This Kabbalah cell, when it comes to Mitzvah, that's a chayk. A Mitzvah that has no reason to it. And we're told to do the Mitzvah, we say, okay, you're telling me do it, I will do it. Why? I don't know. Only because you told me to. This same Kabbalah cell needs to be applied to every given Mitzvah. I understand I can't kill, I understand I can't steal I understand that Matzah Pesach commemorating Matzah's leading that went out of its time. Excuse me. I understand sitting in Sukkah because of Sukkah Shafti. All these other mitzvahs that have Edis, Achud, Mishpatim, etc. I got the point, basically. But, I'm not doing it because I got the point. I'm doing it because of Kabbalah's ill. But Machyahesen Tuch. They told me to do it, I do it. The word chok also translates as engraving. You engrave something into a stone. Which is unlike, of course, letters that are drawn with ink, as we know the famous story. Um, a famous story only because I told it. Uh, and uh, my millions of listeners have heard it, so therefore became famous of the two friends that were walking on the beach and enjoying the weather they were friends since childhood and all of a sudden one friend turns to the other one and slaps him in the face a ah, good zets the guy gets a sting in his face it hurts he takes a stick and he writes in the sand, Today, on this date, my friend slapped me in my face. And we get invited. They go further. And all of a sudden he turns around again. Whack! Slaps him again. Whew, takes a moment till he gets over it again. And again he takes his stick 
and again he engraves in the sand, Today my friend slapped me a second time. And he got a little close to the water, and the undertow of the water all of a sudden pulled him by his feet, and pulled him out to see Rahman And his friend saw this, and he jumped in the water, and he was off guard, so he couldn't swim, he couldn't do anything. He was totally discombobulated, and his friend grabbed him and pulled him out of the water and saved his life. He was barely breathing, he pumped his stomach, and he gave him mouth to mouth, and he saved his life. He reached in his pocket, he took out a pocket knife, and he went to a, gr- a big stone that was standing on the side, and he engraved, today, on this and this date, my friend saved my life. So the friend turns to him and says, Zogmir, tell me the truth. What was this? The twice that I, that whatever reason I slapped you, you wrote it in the sand with a stick. And the time that I saved your life, you engraved it in the stone. Why? Why did you not write this in the sand as well? So I'll tell you why. You slapped me. It hurt. It shocked me. I almost got upset at you for it. So I wrote it in the sand. Knowing that when high tide comes along, that's going to be wiped out. So I will forget about it. But you saved my life. That, my friend, I'm engraving in a stone because that I will never forget. And we're going to discuss this concept of the later Bilinad and the Shir when it comes to forgiveness. This, therefore, is the concept of Chok engraved in a stone, not just written with ink on a parchment. When you engrave something, it's something you always remember. It's carved into you. And the diamond that was is, that is within us needs to be engraved and, and totally connected with God to an extent that it has its full shine. And this is the devotion of the chayk that we do a mitzvah without asking questions. And so too, every mitzvah we need to do without asking any questions. We'll get back, hopefully, maybe, to the concept of the paraduma. Kola Ida. Teira tells us, as the parashim moves on, the entire nation was standing ready. Rashi says, Kulam Shleimim Vaimdim Likanis They were all standing there full-heartedly ready to go into the Holy Land. This is chapter 20, verse 22. Perichof Chav Beis. Now, as I said before, this parsha has a lot happening. It goes on a span of 40 years. Beginning with the Mitzvah Paraduma, which was said to the Jews in the second year when they left Egypt, And then the Torah goes on in our Pasha, our same Pasha, to talk about the passing of Miriam. Also goes on to talk about the conquering of Sichon and Oig, 
and other happenings. All these things happened at the end of the 40 years. <coughs> As they were going into so. Oh, we'll still discuss. Amongst these things, though, the different items, we have Moshe sending Miraglim again to spy out Yazer, and they went and they did their job and they captured the city. And we also have the Shvatim of God and Ruven and Hef of Meshavit Menasha asking to settle on the other side of the Yardin on the eastern side, not in the land of Canaan. And Moshe acquiesced to their request. And we'll learn later in Pasha's Matitz Masri. These two sins bring up again that same sin of the Meraglim, of the spies. One sin of the Meraglim they didn't do only what Mesha told them. Check out the land, go tour the land. They brought back personal effects. And they brought back the message, we can't go up. The second sin of Reuben and God, not wanting to go into Israel. God chose this land for us. But they ref- preferred to stay in the desert on the other side of the Yansuf, of the Arden. These two sins, in repetition of these two sins, Mesha takes first of all the Shlichas to spy out Yazir. These messengers. undertake to add and conquer without being commanded. God and Reuben and come and say, don't make us cross over the Yardin. They ask to stay in Chutz outside of Israel. This is exactly what the Meraglim were doing. The Meraglim also did not want to go into Eretz However, the opposite totally is true in these cases. Chas v'sholom to say this is the sin of the Miraglim. Just the opposite. This was fixing the sin of the Miraglim. And how? By doing something totally opposite of what the Miraglim did. The sin of the Miraglim itself was they added a negative twist to Moshe's shlichas. And therefore, how did these new spies fix it? By adding a positive twist. They were sure that Moshe's prayers would help them and they would be able to capture the land. God, Ruvain, and Chatsi Shevet Menashe, The Miraglim said we can't go into Israel. Why? Because they did not want to involve themselves in mundane worldly things. They wanted to stay in the spiritual world. (laughs) 
God Ruben Sheikh Hatshev Minasha said, Akradish Baruch promised Avram Avinu the ten nations, the land of the ten nations. However, crossing the Yardin, they only had seven. The other three, Kini, Kenizive, Kadmeni, will be conquered when Mashiach comes. Reuben, God, asked, we want to start that mission now. We want to put that into motion already now for the time of Mashiach. And therefore they requested to stay on this side of the Yardin. Not as a, as a revolution against the opposite. To start already the process of Mashiach. So this all was a rectifying process of what the Miraglim had done. And Dafka through this we have, it's proven to us that Am Yisrael fixed the sin of the Miraglim. Like Rashi says in the same Pasuk on Pasuk Chavbez the entire nation was ready to go into the land. It was not just a fixing of the sin, a preparation for the ultimate inheritance, the Osid Lava in the time of Mashiach. And this way, Am Yisrael began to inherit the entire land that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised Avram Avinu something that will come to Shleimus with Gula Amitus Vashleima Yidei Mashiach Tidkenu. Moving on, chapter 21, verse 1, Peri Chafalif, Aleph. Tera tells us, Aaron passed away. Vayishma HaKnani. The Kanani heard this. Rashi tells us, Shoma Shemes Aaron Vinistalku Anani Kovit. They heard that Aaron passed and the Anani Kovit departed. Forty years the Jews wandered in the desert. Water they drank from Be'er Miriam. They had the honors and the pleasures of the Anania Kovid in the merit of Aaron Akayin. And the Pasha tells us when, uh, when Miriam passes, as we said before, the Be'er disappears, the, the well disappears. And the nation did not have water. When this happened, everybody gathered up against Meshach and Aaron. In Meshach, they started to fight him. They started to protest and to what not. This is Meshach that Bainu will talk about. But they didn't care. So therefore, in the merit of Meshach, the water came back. As we know the story, as we said before, which we said we didn't understand. 
because of this whole fight, where the Be'er left after the passing of Miriam, we don't find such a thing when the Ananakavah disappeared, when the clouds of honor disappeared, of glory. Ma'arim passes away and the Ananam disappear. Now the Ananam were not just, these clouds were not just clouds uh, taking care of the uh, sun. They protected from the sun. They straightened out the land, the, the road that they were walking on, they paved it. There was no bumps, there was no hills, no mountains to climb. They killed out the Nechashim Vakravim, the scorpions, the snakes. They led the way, they showed them the way. The Torah tells us, Nevarim, your feet did not get swollen. The garments in Moscow, your garments were washed and were made to fit you at all times. When this went away, why the silence? Why was there no protest over the disappearance of the Nani Akavit? Incoming, getting a picture. Ah, ah, my good friend, my neighbor. Chazal tell us, obviously many different places, the truth is, that these clouds accompanied the Jews with different types of clouds. One were the clouds that actually took care of their physical needs, as we just said before. And the second were Nani Kovei, they were, they were honorary, they were just for the honor of the Jews. And these were glamorous and glorious clouds that went in front of the Jews apparently, so that everybody should know the great grandeurs and greatness of God, and to honor the Jewish nation. These Anani Akovet are the ones that disappeared when Aaron passes. The actual clouds that were servicing the Jews stayed alone, stayed on. The Anani Akovet disappeared; they never came back. And the first clouds never left. So the Jews didn't even notice necessarily that their clouds were not there. At least not to their own physical handicap. So obviously they're not going to come complain. Our glory, we don't worry about our glory, we worry about our essence and our existence. But we still can ask a question. The Be'er came back in honor of Moshe. Why does Moshe not bring back in his honor, in his merit, they're not, they're not their covet? If the merit of Moshe was not in the strength to return the Nanya covet that went away after Aaron died, it doesn't make sense. 
Here we see the essence, the difference in essence between Moshe, Aaron, and his sister Miriam, their sister Miriam. The facts that were given to the Jewish nation through Aaron and Miriam was in their merit. Because Aaron and Miriam had merits, therefore the Jews were given the water and the clouds. So when they died, the people that had these merits took the merit with them. And therefore, the result of the merit disappeared. Moshe Rabbeinu was a very devoted shepherd. He was a Rayan Nemon. As a devoted shepherd to his flock, nothing was too hard for him. Not only that, everything was important to him that his flock had it. They lacked nothing. He didn't look if they have merits, if they don't have merits, if they're worthy of this, if they're not worthy of this. His bottom line his bottom line was that the Jews have what they need. And this is what Moshe was concerning himself to make sure he gives the nation. Therefore, Moshe, in his merit, sought to it to bring back the bear. He brought back the waters. Because his nation needed water. Anania covered, they could live without. There's no problem living without it. It was only an extra measure. So that was in the schus of Aaron, when Aaron passed away, the schus no longer existed. Thank you. So Mesha, as a devoted, dedicated shepherd, brought back to the Jews what they needed for their essence and existence. This, therefore, we see the greatness of Meshe Rabbeinu. And the greatness of every shepherd of every generation. They are worried about the well-being of their flock. Selflessly. It doesn't matter me. It doesn't matter what, what I'm going through it doesn't matter what I have it doesn't matter what I'm lacking it doesn't matter if I'm in pain it doesn't matter anything does not matter to the shepherd all that matters to the shepherd is that the flock is well that the flock is healthy that the flock has what it needs so much so that even after Mesha passes away the Jews still had, according to Rabbi, 14 years of the money that fell for them in the desert. This is the behavior of a Manik Yisrael.
of a true leader. He worries about all the needs, physical and spiritual, of his entire nation and flock. Even after passing, he continues to worry and to impress all the good and kindness. So therefore, as we come out of a week, as we go into a Shabbos that blesses the week prior and after, we it is brought to our attention and it teaches us how our shepherd did not desert his flock. Our shepherd sees to it that the flock has everything they need. And if God forbid one of those sheep feel that they are lacking something they need but to approach him and to tell the shepherd to daven on their behalf and to secure to them once again what they need. And this is the essence and the metzias of a reyanemon, a true shepherd, a devoted shepherd. So when it came to lack of water, the shepherd made sure there was water for everyone. Ananiya Kovit, glory. Yes, I'd like my sheep to look good. Yes, I'd like to be proud of my sheep. Yes, I'd like people to talk proudly and look kindly upon my sheep. But I know that what's most important to me is the well-being of my sheep. Well, my friends, the sheep were not behaving. When they started not behaving, there was a magefa. A magefa where tens of thousands died. How so? The snakes, scorpions, started to run wild. And people were being bit left and right and dying. By this Pashas Nachash and Achishas, as it's known, because Mesha is told to bring to build a copper snake, put it on a staff, and then by Dabar Alikim Alikim Mesha, and the nation speaks to Alikim Mesha, and then we see that the Nachashim was sent through. The other Mesha and the nation came to Mesha by Yemru and they said, Khatanu, we sinned. This is all chapter twenty one, verse five through seven. through Zion. But ultimately the Yidin say Vayemru Khatanu We sinned. His Padel Hashem prayed to God for us. And take away from us the snake. 
And then the Pasik says, Vayispalil Mesha Ba'adaum. He started to pray for the nation. Says Rashi. Vayispalil Mesha, Mesha prayed. And he explains, Mikan from here we learn. From a person that asks, if a person asks forgiveness, you should not be a stubborn person, an axel, and not forgive them. And others that say it says, someone that holds back from forgiving. The Gemara tells us a story. An Ami or an Asi, I'm not sure, I don't remember. Rav Ashi was standing and he saw on a cliff a stone jutting out of a mountain. Was a Jew lying there sleeping. He was sleeping there on the stone. And suddenly, a big venomous snake starts to slither its way up the mountainside. And literally, encompasses the person, getting ready to sting him, to, to bite him, to inject his poison into the person, and Achman al-Islam. And the Tana had nothing, there was nothing he could do. The distance was so vast. But suddenly, some kind of insect or some kind of bug came along and bit and killed the snake. Man was sleeping. He was sleeping. But he was saved from the snake. Then, man woke up and sees the snake dead next to him very, very intimidating looking snake. He jumps up and runs up onto the mountain off the stone. And the very second that he gets onto the mountain, the stone falls off, breaks off of the mountain and falls the tremendous distance down below. Had the man stayed that one more second, he would have been a statistic. But yet again, he is miraculously saved. Lutana went and found this man and asked him, What is it that you do that merits you such protection from God? The man was very, very humble. Didn't have anything really to mention. Finally, he says, I'll tell you the truth. I never go to sleep angry. I forgive full-heartedly anyone that had anything to do, that hurt me, did anything to me, said anything to me. I forgive them full-heartedly. I never go to sleep with anyone's 
bad feelings in my heart. And if I can't get rid of them, I don't go to sleep. Until I toil and work on myself, no matter what the person did to me, I forgive them. This merit of this mitzvah, of this behavior, this anhoge, save this person's life. Literally. Here we find that the mucker, the source of one not being an agzer and not to forgive somebody no matter what they did to them is from Vayispal Moshe. Because the Yidin said, Chatonu, I sinned. And no matter what the person says, I sinned, I didn't sin. The person basically is out there saying that I've done my sin, I'm sorry, I, please forgive me. Anyone that does not forgive is an Agzir. And we may, may not be such a status, and we learn this from here. A very, very, very powerful question comes up. Way back when in Pasha's Beresh, Vayero, in Chumash Bereshes, we have another story. Avram Avinu comes with his wife Sarah, and Avimelech takes Sarah for himself. Granted, Avram and Sarah both said they're brothers and sisters, granted, whatever the transpired over here. But Avram, but Avimelech takes Sarah. His house breaks out in a plague with leprosy all over the house. And the Almighty comes to him and says to him that you're going to die for this. A little drastic, buddy. And we know the story. Avimelech gives back Sarah and says to Avram, please pray for me. And Avram prays and the punishment was revoked. Once again we see Avram Avinu forgiving. Why don't we learn from there that one must learn how to forgive? Why Dafka from Moshe Rabbeinu? Why are we not taking that instance of Avram and Sarah where he davens for Avimelech because Avimelech wronged him and we see that everything is reversed why is that not sufficient to learn from there that one may not be an Agzer and needs to forgive why do we need to wait for Moshe there are three shlavim of forgiveness three levels of forgiveness first one is a person forgives for a sin why? I don't want that person to get punished 
and even prays for him that the person shouldn't get punished. Take away the punishment from the guy. Leave him alone. He sinned. He did against me. Whatever he did, don't don't. He shouldn't get punished for it. That's one level. Level two. He doesn't only forgive the sin. He forgives the person. We're neither here nor there. I got nothing against him. I have nothing against him. I forgive the sin. I have nothing against him per se. Leave it alone. Then there's level three. I forgive him so full-heartedly. I eradicate the sin from him and from my memory. There is no remnants of this sin whatsoever. And I am and I endear this person as much as I did before he sinned to me. <clears throat> that is the third level of forgiveness. In the first way, the forgiveness is on the sin itself. Not to the person that did it. In the second way, on the sin and on the person himself. But in the third way, it's even greater. The sin never existed. It never happened. I don't remember, I don't want to remember the sin. And this person to me is an amazing person. As he was before he sinned against me. By Avram Avinu it came to the first level of forgiveness. Vayispal Avram Elikim, Avram Davin to God. Vayirap Elikim is Avimelech, Avimelech himself was healed. Avram Davin that the punishment should be eradicated, he should not get punished. Just take away the punishment from him. He remains who he is. But don't punish him. Get the punishment away. On the other hand, Moshe Rabbeinu, oops, plant is gone. Moshe Rabbeinu, Vayispal Moshe Ba'adam, when the nation came and said, Chotonu, we sinned, Moshe Davin Ba'ad Ha'om for the nation themselves. Not just take away the punishment, but for the nation themselves. Showing the endearment and the love for the nation. And therefore, he endeared them, loved them like a true shepherd, unconditionally, like he loved them before. Nothing came in between them. Nothing here happened at all whatsoever. Everything was wiped to an extent that it non-existence. Old control, delete without any way of tracing it. Going back to it. Therefore, from here we can learn out that the Mechel cannot be an Azari to forgive. The person that was sinned against the person that had something happen to them, may not be an Akhzer and needs to forgive. Not just say, I don't want the guy punished, 
not just say, let the guy go in his, in his own way, I'll stay me, he'll stay him, I forgive him for whatever he did, but to go to the beginning of the situation, and to embrace the person and say, I forgive you and love you like a brother, like I did before anything happened. We know the famous Pasuk, Magid Dvarav Yaakov, Chukov, Mishpatov Yisrael. He tells his Dvarim to Yaakov, to the Yidin, his Chukim and Mishpatim to the Yidin. And Chazal tells us, and we learned the Mitzvah Mashu, that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu does, He tells the Jews to do. He doesn't tell them to do something He Himself doesn't do. And therefore, the same way we are being told to forgive and forget, to eradicate the sins and to make them disappear entirely, the same way we are being told to love the person, embrace the person once again, like you did before they, God forbid, sinned against you, so too we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to do the same, and to behave in the same way. She is going over time, seven minutes. I call you in seven minutes, because it started late, yeah. Therefore, just as we are being asked and just as we do forgive a fellow Jew for anything they ever did to us to a level that we embrace them and say we forgave you and we have no remnants of this sin whatsoever and we are one together once again so too HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs to do so for us it is ever in his everlasting, never-ending wisdom and chesed and kindness and glory. He needs to awaken, to reveal the Midas Rachlin, which are boundless, with no boundaries, and immediately forgive Kalal Yisrael, forgive the Jewish nation for anything that they have ever done. And when this is awakened by each and every Jew, that the Jew does tshuva, that repents, and we know that when the Yidin do tshuva, miyad hein immediately they will be redeemed, v'gu'ula, amitas, v'ashlema, ha'yidei Mashiach, tzitkenu, amen. It's going back a little bit to the paraduma. That would be perfect. The Rambam brings down this law in Mishnah Teda. And we know the Rambam didn't mince his words. And therefore it's strange, and we said this before last year, but it's a very, very important thing to say. It needs to be reminded over and over again. And he says, in the middle of discussing the Paraduma, Ramam says, and the tenth Paraduma will be brought by Mashiach Tzidkenu, 
And he says, Form of a prayer. Amen Kenya Hirotsan, excuse me. Amen Kenya Hirotsan. What does a prayer have to do in the middle of all these halachas? And we've explained this before, but like I said, it's extremely important. And if you want to talk about Mehedim, you may not talk about it when the halachas have come to be as Mashiach. A spontaneous prayer in the middle of the halacha, talking about paraduma. Why? Because Ramam, the Ramam is giving us a halacha here. There's an obligation to yearn for Mashiach. Not only in concept, but with our emotions. A Jew must sense redemption is a critical need. And without it, there's no existence. And therefore he anxiously awaits the coming of Mashiach. To an extent that when you say the word Mashiach, you say, May it be already. And this explains why the Rambam puts it in here. We hear the prayer to tell us specifically. It's a halacha that the words of Mashiach when mentioning the time of Mashiach, the coming of Mashiach, whenever one hears the mention of it, they should say, Amen, Amen, so it should be that we should merit the revelation of Mashiach to Kenu, and as Reuven and God and Chatzashev Menasha, the paves paved the road for us, the, 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 the trailblazers, by bringing about and by accepting the land on the other side, so that Kaini Knizi Vekadmeni and all the Eser Amim should be conquered. And when we go with Mashiach to Kainu this Shabbos, Yushalayim Yerakadish, Shabbat, Shalom to all.